Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. This is episode 191. I'm Art Regner. And as always, the Red and White Authority is presented by Labatt Blue. It is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings, whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall. It's always a great time to end your hard-earned day of work by having an ice-cold, frothy Labatt Blue. But we do ask that you drink our premium beer responsibly. With that said, let's bring in our guest, and it is a jam-packed show uh, today. Uh, up first is... Uh, uh, beat writers, really all really good friends of mine, uh, dear friends of mine, people that I have worked with for many years now, I trust, and we're going to have a little bit of a Red Wing uh, uh, rehash here, the trade deadline and some of the things the organization has done. Um, from M Live, the fine beat writer, one of the finest reporters I know anywhere, Ansar Khan, uh, also Hockey Hall of Famer, now from Detroit Hockey Now, uh, the incomparable Kevin Allen. And uh, my colleague over at the Detroit Red Wings, uh, Daniela Bruce, uh, uh, her meteoric rise in this industry is well-deserved. No one works harder than Daniela. Uh, Kevin, Ansar, Daniela, welcome to uh, the Red and White Authority. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. All right. I, I'm going to open this up first question. And the one that I've gotten since the trade deadline was... The two Ottawa games where the Red Wings, for all intents and purposes, just played horrible hockey, was that the linchpin that forced Steve to make the moves he did at the trade deadline? Or do you think he was going to pull the old trigger out of the grenade and shake things up anyway? Uh, Ansar, let's start with you. Yeah. Well, you know, it would have been interesting. Uh, not only – I think it was not only – the, the fact that they lost, but the way that they lost those two games too, uh, you know, might have influenced him. But had they split those two games or gotten like three points out of four or, or something like that, uh, it would have been interesting to see what he would have done. Um, my guess is that, you know, um, it certainly would have, there would have been a, a little more um, – maybe pressure to, to kind of keep the team intact and and uh, see what uh, could transpire had they fared well in those Ottawa games. I'm thinking maybe, uh, you know, may, maybe he doesn't make those moves. Uh, at least uh, uh, keeps Ronick, uh, you know, maybe uh, uh, Bertuzzi, I don't know. Uh, does he make that trade? Because uh, it, it was pretty obvious that, they, they weren't going to get a deal done with Bertuzzi and probably weren't going to get a deal done even after the deadline had they kept him. So uh, you would have lost him for nothing. Um, it, I mean, that's a tough decision. But I think uh, ultimately uh, they made it easier for him, certainly, uh, by uh, not only losing both of those games, but but losing uh, how they in the fashion that they did. Kevin? Yeah, I like the phrasing that Ansar used on that. They made it easy for him uh, because I think he had made up his mind. He certainly was going to trade Tyler Bertuzzi. You can't allow uh, a player uh, of that talent to leave the organization and not get something in return. And I think that's sort of become a trend. You look at what happened with Kachuk in Calgary where yeah, he told them he wasn't going to come back, and they made that decision because they had just lost Johnny Goudreau like that. And that's that can set a uh, franchise back if you don't get any return on an asset like that. So 
I, I would have guessed that Eisenman was going to trade him no matter what. And I think he was probably, um, you know, I don't know this for sure, but I assumed that he he had knowledge that he could make the Ronick deal and maybe he was thinking about it. Um, but I think uh, those two losses just confirmed to him what he, uh, the conclusion he probably reached before, and that is they really weren't close enough. Uh, they weren't really a Stanley Cup contender. Like how much stock, even though I think it's important for the fan base that you get back in as quick as you can, um, they weren't going to go beyond the first round anyway. So I, I think he would have made these deals. Uh, what I think could have been different is I think he would have gone for these first-round picks because those are too valuable uh, not to, to go for. But I think he might have then tried to add some pieces that wouldn't uh, have gotten in the way of him building for the future. In other words, he would have found maybe some uh, James Van Riemsdyk. He would have figured out a way to get that deal done, uh, bringing him in because uh, his contract, he was a rental. He might have brought in another rental to help him out make the uh, to try to go for the playoffs. But I, I think he was going to make those deals no matter what. Uh, Daniela, were you surprised, I think as I was, where Steve was really up front and open about Bertuzzi and said, I talked to him sort of at the beginning of the year, and kind of just before I made this deal, but that was it. I mean, they really didn't seem to have any talks at all. Yeah, I, I don't know if surprise is the right word because I think a lot of people expected Tyler Bertuzzi to be on the, the trade market. I think there were rumors flying around that the Red Wings had pulled him off the market at some point and they weren't taking phone calls on him. And I don't know if that was ever true because as Kevin mentioned, Steve wasn't going to let Tyler Bertuzzi walk for nothing. He was worth something, right? And if they weren't going to get a deal done, then that means Tyler Bertuzzi was going to be traded. And those two Ottawa games, as Steve told us, I don't think he's lying to us. They just kind of solidified what he already thought, that this team wasn't quite ready to get up for playoff games. They didn't get up to play in those two games. And that's what led him to affirm that he was going to make those deals. But I don't think if the Red Wings would have stole one of those games or just performed a little bit better, I don't think that changes the decision at all. And you have to look at the return that you get too. Tyler Bertuzzi might have been a done deal because, again, you've got to get something for him if you're going to let him walk at the end of the year. But a first and a second round pick for Philip Hironik is a really, really good trade. That's great return for the Red Wings while they still are trying to build for the future. So when that phone call is made to Steve Eiserman. I think it would have been really hard for him to turn down, even if he thought maybe there was a chance to push into the playoffs and contend for something. But I think that's what we're seeing. This was going to happen regardless. And he was obviously taking those phone calls throughout this entire process. Well, you know, I think you bring up a good point and, you know, Ansar and Kevin is that when I looked at what the, what, what Steve was able to get back from Vancouver for, uh, for Philip Aronik, I, I, I don't know where, what, where, whether they're in the playoff race or not. I, 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 you know, I, I think you, all of you have heard me say this. If I were Steve and I found out that this was what the offer was and he kept Aronic, I think he'd have to get his head examined. I mean, that is a great haul. That is a great deal and nothing against Philip Aronic. And I wish him nothing but the best. But if you really look at it, Ansar, I mean, how could Steve say no to that? Yeah, it was surprising. Um, uh, uh, you know, on, on, on several levels here, you got a team that uh, a Vancouver team that was not going to the playoffs. Um, I'm not sure what their uh, urgency was to give up a first and a second round pick for a defenseman who's injured. I don't know. If, I don't think he's come back, has he? I don't think he has played for no. I, I mean, I look at. I, I don't understand what what why they had to get that deal done now. 
uh, it, it just makes no sense. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was a, uh, a very good deal for a guy who was never going to be a first pair defenseman here, especially when, I mean, you look at the future here, obviously Cider at the top of the, the list there on, on D and Edmondson uh, eventually coming up to, to form a probably, you know, a, a top, uh, a big uh, a top defense pairing there. Ronick was, was uh, pretty much pigeonholed in the, the second pairing there. And, uh, you know, he's going to be up for a contract in a couple of years. I don't think they wanted to pay him more. Uh, much more than than what they currently are for a guy who you know has defense defensive deficiencies. Um, so yeah, uh, the more you think about it, and uh, terrific deal for Detroit. Uh, head scratcher as to what the Vancouver was thinking. Kevin, I know that you're plugged into the league like nobody else, really. And I mean, what what was the scuttlebutt at that deal? Did you know from from you know from some of your sources were they saying wow? Uh, what a deal for Detroit, like Ansar feels, or do, do people could see what Vancouver was doing, I guess. What, what, what makes sense for Vancouver? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think, uh, uh, the reaction around the league was Steve did it again. Um, <laughs> like, um, you know, this was, uh, something that would have been better served for Vancouver to look at in the summer. Um, and, uh, instead they, as, uh, you pointed out, it, it, you know, they didn't need to do this now because, you know, it wasn't like they were going to fight their way back into the postseason. But, you know, the logic of this deal, um, you know, was pretty multi-layered. You know, if you look at the Red Wings list of prospects, they have more defensemen than forwards. You know, you got to carve out some room for these guys because, you know, they're going to be playing some of them in the top four. And I think Steve was thinking ahead in that regard that ultimately – Aronic will be replaced and, you know, probably sooner rather than later. And this was, his market was at its highest. He had a good offensive season this year. And I think uh, everyone's sort of taken note of that. And, you know, the Canucks were looking for a defenseman that could get the puck up to their forwards. And those guys are hard to find in the trade market. So, you know, from their defense, I would say they saw an opportunity to get a guy that's, uh, um, you know, can handle the puck and move it and play on the power play um, because you can't play Quinn Hughes for the entire uh, uh, power play. So I, I think from their perspective, they felt like they better do it now because if he held kind of an auction for him in the summer, they might finish second, but they could uh, get it done now. But, you know, most people thought uh, that Steve did incredibly well in getting the return he did for Hironic. Well, when you look at this, and uh, you know, and Danielle, I want you to to take this one first. Is, is that uh, another question? And, and I'm going by because you know Steve doesn't talk to us very often, and when he does, he usually talks for right around 45 minutes to an hour, which he did. And one thing that he said that I think all of us saw because we we've seen Ottawa play the Red Wings this year, we've seen Buffalo compete against the Red Wings this year, is when he said. You know, the division is eventually going to flip, and the teams that we're going to be competing with are Ottawa and Buffalo, and quite frankly, they're better than us, which leads me to this question for all three of you, but Danielle, you'll begin, and and, and that is, does Steve keep all these assets? Does he look at it and say, you know, we, we just don't have the forward core to stack up to these teams right now. I, I, I want as many draft picks as possible, or do you see him? 
trying to maneuver these around. And I know it's kind of an impossible question because no one ever knows really what Steve's up to. But Daniela, why don't you uh, uh, tackle this one first? Well, I think it's all on the table. And like you said, it is kind of an impossible question to answer because what he has done now is gathered all of these assets for the draft and whether he decides to use them and actually use them as draft picks or use them as assets to trade for different players. He's given himself that flexibility. And I think that's what he likes because we saw him made a, make a great trade in last year's draft to acquire Billy Huso for a third round pick. And you just know that he's going to be trying to deal during the draft too. And if the right deal comes along, I think he will definitely package some of them and acquire a player because Art, I think you nailed it in the question. Maybe the forward four isn't quite as strong as Buffalo's right now or Ottawa's right now. And we talked about this earlier before the podcast start. Josh Norris hasn't played for Ottawa. So when they get him back, it's going to be, you know, they're, they're going to be even better. He scored 30 goals last season. So they're only getting better. Buffalo's only getting better. They've got a guy like Tage Thompson. The Red Wings just don't seem to have quite that caliber of forward right now. Obviously, they do have some talent that's not to knock them at all, but they definitely need to get a little stronger, bigger, maybe a little more physical. And I think Steve will try to acquire those players in whatever way that he sees that happening, whether it's the draft or a trade at the draft. Like I said, we saw that he's not scared to do it. He gave away a third-round pick for Billy Huso, and look how that has panned out for the Red Wings this season. Right. Well, who so arguably is maybe the MVP of the year uh, this far. I mean, I think he is actually. And, and you know, everybody knows that I have uh, great affection for Mo Sider. I'm not sure why, even though I guess I have to now get in goal as he practices his backhand, according to him. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but with that said, answer, I, I mean, I really can't figure this out. I can see Steve taking all these draft picks. But I can also see him maneuvering. I guess we just have to see how it plays out. Do you have any kind of general vibe what you think he may do? Oh, well, no, my guess is that he is going to uh, to deal, uh, look for uh, trades uh, this summer. Uh, he kind of uh, indicated himself uh, uh, that it's, it's not a strong free agent uh, class. Uh, you know, it really hasn't been, I don't think, uh, in a while. And I mean, he even said it himself. Look at the free agents, uh, you know, the free agent list this summer. So I think he'll, uh, you know, he's got three second round picks, um, you know, five first rounders uh, over the next, uh, what, three years. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think he's uh, well equipped here uh, to make deals. And I think that would be the, uh, the quickest way to uh, get from where they are now to uh into a playoff contention uh next season um like i said i don't i, I just don't uh, I, I just don't see a lot of help there in the agents market i think uh using uh, some of those assets uh for a trade uh would be the best way to go and, and my guess is that's what he's going to do yeah but what is the market like i know you study this stuff i mean do you I mean, I, I kind of, uh, you know, I kind of agree with everything that Daniela and Ansar presented. I mean, do you do you see Eisenman really wheeling and dealing? But, of course, the old expression is it takes two to tango. Yeah, it does. Um, what I would say is this year's draft is a little bit unique. I mean, you know, you know, we can see how hard it is to build the draft because by all accounts, uh, Steve Eisenman has hit it out of the park with his first round picks, you know, since he's been here. But, you know, you know, this team is going to be in its seventh season of missing the playoffs. It's just hard, and it takes time to build through the draft. Uh, 
Um, that's why I think he will be looking for opportunities. Everyone knows this is a deep draft. So, you know, guys that are 20th, you know, might have uh, gone uh, in the top 10 last year or the top eight. So, um, you know, what I would see him doing is, you know, we see it a lot in the NFL teams uh, moving up in the draft. We don't see it as much in the NHL because it's much harder to project these players than it is in the NFL. But I think if there is a, a forward there that Steve likes, um, and that's key because the first round belongs to him. Um, I, I could see him packaging as he did when he got Kosa, you know, that later first round pick with maybe a second round pick and try to move up, you know, some spots to get a guy. If he could see, uh, an opportunity, someone he really believes in as, you know, we've seen in the past. So I, I think he will try to utilize uh, some of these assets. Um, uh, and But if there's not a guy there, if he thinks that the talent down where he's going to pick is equal to what he could get if he moves up, then, then he'll take the pick. But, uh, you know, he's not a guy who uh, ever um, ignores an opportunity when it's uh, staring in front of him. No, he's, he certainly doesn't. And uh, I'm going to defer to my colleague, Daniela Bruce. Daniela, a little breaking news from Nashville where the Red Wings will play this evening. We're doing this on Tuesday afternoon, uh, right around 1230 is when this podcast began. Uh, uh, Derek Wallone uh, addressed the media. What's up? Yeah, he said that there are three nicked up players right now. Didn't name them by name. So they're game time decisions. He thinks all can play, but he probably won't know right up until game time what's going to happen. And we saw that they called up Matt Luff under emergency circumstances yesterday. So there's a lot of possibilities that could happen in tonight's game. It'll be interesting to see what the uh, the final lineup is there. They said there is the possibility to go 11 and 7 if they need to, but that will all depend on who's available and who is not. And the last thing was that Billy Husso will be in goal tonight. Okay. Well, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, Red Wing Land is always uh, kind of uh, uh, cloaked in mystery here. Uh, you know, we never really quite know. But that kind of leads me to my next question, too is that, again, fans are looking, you know, the Red Wings are technically still in the playoff hunt. Uh, I think they're nine points out of the first playoff spot, which is held by the Penguins as we speak today, but they play the same number of, of games. Uh, the And I think, what is it, uh, uh, seven points, I think it was, uh, uh, against the Islanders with two games at hand. Chances of the Red Wings making the playoffs, although I think, we, you know, that'd be great for us. I'd cover a playoff round, but... Um, uh, probably are not that ver- uh, not that good, which now leads me to this question, which do we see, because Grand Rapids is m- more than likely not going to make the playoffs either. Uh, Toledo is streaking at one sixteen games in a row, but uh, except for Cosa, uh, you know, maybe there aren't any other Red Wing prospects on the walleye right now. I, haven't, I would need to double check that. But with that said, do we see Edmondson? Do we see Johansson come up for a nine-game audition? Uh, where do you think the uh, the Red Wings are are at? I think I think Mo Sider would have come up if it wasn't for COVID for nine games. I I, I truly believe that. But you know, Edmondson, Johansson, I'm not really sure what Steve is going to do. And uh, Kevin, why don't we start with you, and then we'll go to Ansar. What do you think? You think Steve's going to uh, uh, to bring these guys up? Uh, uh, because obviously the fan base has been clamoring for Simon Evanson since a bozo like me kept saying he was going to make the team out of camp. So, uh, you know, where uh, where do you think uh, 
uh, th that lies. Did he see the nine games before their first year of their con uh, professional contract would kick in if they play 10 games? Well, you know, we saw last year and Bergeron didn't get called up. Um, so, you know, Steve's certainly uh, uh, not fearful or timid about leaving guys there. But, you know, you got to pay some homage to the fan base. And I, I think he should bring these guys up. Um, I would bring up uh, both uh, he and uh, Johansson, Albert Johansson, and give them an opportunity to play a few games. Plus, because you got you're selling hope, you're selling hope to the fan base, and you know they deserve the opportunity to see. Because uh, this is a you know a smart fan base, they understand they can um, you know look at the acorn and envision the tree. Uh, they're capable of that. So um, I I think. Uh, um, I'm just guessing now, but I'm going to guess he's going to give them a chance at the end to play a few games just so the fans can take a look at these guys. Yeah, okay, and so what do you think? What do you think Steve's going to do? I mean, he uh, he always uh, is a, a bit secretive. Yeah, well, secretive, uh, unpredictable for sure. Uh, I, I'm, you know, it's anybody's guess, but I'm thinking that he's not going to bring them up. Uh, you know, he was kind of, he was asked about Edmondson uh, on his uh, uh, trade, trade deadline call. And just reading between the lines, he seemed kind of lukewarm to that idea, uh, saying, well, you know, there's other guys that have played well down there too. And just, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I, I just got the sense that he would prefer to just keep those guys down there like he did with Bergeron last year when they had an opportunity to call him up late in the year. Uh, it just, it, it just seems, uh, it just seems like that's maybe his style to just, you know, leave those guys down there uh, instead of uh, bringing them up uh, for a few games late in the year. Uh, yeah. And unless they have a, you know, a rash of injuries here on the blue line, because they've got what, uh, as far as we know, seven healthy D right now. Right, yeah. Uh, I think, I think you would only bring them up through necessity. That, that's my guess. Uh, Danielle, I know you and I have talked about this. We'd love to see those guys up. but uh, And I know you were uh, recently uh, in Grand Rapids. I mean, have you gotten any kind of feel, especially because I think you talked to both Edmondson and uh, Johansson. Anything did, I mean, they're players are the last to know. Look, I, I understand that. But did you get any kind of vibe what's going on? Well, from everybody, aside from the players that I talked to, coaches, staff, I talked to Sean Horkoff, sat him down to talk about these prospects, and everybody is very impressed with Albert Johansson right now. And that's not a knock on Simon Edmondson. They're very happy with his development as well. But I think if there is a call-up, look for Johansson to get the call-up. Because if even Sean Horkoff told us if he doesn't get his shot this year, then it better be next year for him because they he's close. He's the closest of the decor down there right now. And I think that was the, the unified message from everybody that I talked to in Grand Rapids. And thinking about last year and not bringing up Bergeron, I feel like this team's in a bit of a different scenario than they were last season. Let's just call it what it is. They were getting their butts kicked at the end of the season. They were losing by a lot of goals. They were giving up a lot of goals. They, they weren't playing as well as they are now. And I think this series against Boston proved a little bit more. We, we keep talking about the Ottawa series, right? But the Red Wings just, held their own and beat the best team in the league in a back-to-back -back situation. So what I guess the point I'm trying to make is bringing up a player like that wouldn't really hurt them. They're not going to come up here and just 
lose embarrassingly every game. They're going to come in and they're going to fight. And I think that could actually be beneficial for a guy like Johansson, who is going to get a really good look next season if he doesn't get it this year. Well, you know, always the Red Wings rationale for keeping these guys down and maybe not having them come up to the big club for the nine games is that they wanted them to experience a playoff run at the AHA AHL level, which which is just as important and uh, just as experience any kind of pressurized hockey where you have to win in order to make a playoff. But the way this year is playing out for Grand Rapids, I'm you know I I think it's a tough call either way. I mean I can see Kevin. You said yeah, I, I'd love to see them uh, uh, you know call these guys up. Ansar, I can see where you know Steve's saying almost what's the point, <laughs> but. Uh, I, I really think this is a tough call, and this might be one of these calls, and, you know, whomever wants to kind of answer this little the tirade thing I'm going on here. But, um, you know, anyway, Steve, I guess any decision Steve makes, you almost have to have faith in Eisenman that it's the right decision. I, don't, you know. I was just going to say, too, I think you've got to look at, Art, you mentioned they're not technically out of the playoff race right now. They are eight. Point, seven points behind the Islanders at the moment for that last wild card spot. And they have two games at hand. So again, I, I don't think Steve said it himself. He doesn't expect them to make a deep playoff run, but there's still a chance they could get into the first round of the playoffs. And maybe he wants to see how the next week or so plays out. You, you never know what you're looking at next week. Right. Especially when you're in this situation with a ton of teams that are so close for that last wild card position. So maybe that plays a factor in it. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, yeah. Kevin and <laughs> Kevin and Ansar, you know, I mean, you know, I, I, I try to get in Steve Eiserman's mind way too much. Uh, uh, so I, I just, I mean, I guess the fan in me really would like to see these two guys come up for nine games. But then again, knowing Steve, like we all know Steve, I'm not, I don't think that's probably most likely not going to happen. Kevin, I know you what you said, but I mean, get in that Eiserman mind, Kevin. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, that's just impossible. And, uh, you know, he always, uh, I find it curious that uh, he always, uh, you know, kind of pokes fun at us because we kind of talk about the Eiserman mystique, the Eiserman aura. Uh, and he goes, you know, that's really not uh, rocket science, but it, but it is, you know, he, you know, he, he sends messages with the way he does things. And I, I think it's pretty clear to everyone in the organization that you got to work to make this team. And I think that's the message he wants to send. That's why I think part of the reason why Bergeron, you know, wasn't just brought up to be brought up. You know, he's talked about that. You know, he one of the things he has said more than once is, I want to see them dominate at the AHL level. I don't want to see them yo-yo back and forth. I want them to come up and stay up. And if you look at Bergeron as an example, he really has done that. Once he got his chance this year, he has stuck with it. Now, it was even curious uh, at his last press conference where he, he, you know, he backed off. He started to say, well, Bergeron has made it. And he goes, well, he hasn't quite made it yet. Well, you know, that's Steve being Steve. You know, he wants it to players to see that, you know, it's, uh, you know, once you get here, you know, improving yourself, uh, it's going to take a while to in order to do that. So. You know, if I really had to guess, I'd guess he will, he won't bring them up. But you know, I, I you know, at some point you do have to start um, easing them into the lineup. And you know, he had so many players down there 
that are now prospects that I, I think it sort of also sends a message when you give them the opportunity. If you bring in the guys who have played the best down there now, that's a message as well, saying, look, you work hard, you play hard, you have a good season, you get rewarded, and you come up now. So, um, you know, one thing we know for sure is that Steve will think long and hard about whatever decision he reaches. Right, you know, and, and I guess, Ansar, you know, you, you, you pretty much have it all figured out. I mean, you, you said he's not—he's not going to bring these guys up. I mean, he, he, and as Kevin alluded to, he—he he does kind of give you hints. He, but with that said, I, I'm curious to answer because if you look at it, and uh, and you let's take—you uh, know—Yonatan Bergeron or Johnny Burgers or whatever we, we're, we're calling him now. Um, I remember telling Steve in the elevator this year that Bergeron was a was a player. And he kindly asked me to leave the elevator because he was on the phone as I was screaming to him about Bergrim. But, I, I mean, does that kind of reinforce Steve's thinking? Here was a guy who set the the Grand Rapids rookie scoring record last year in, in, in Bergrim, and he still didn't bring him up. He brings him up this year, and, you know, he's made, even though Steve says he hasn't, kind of a seamless transition. Do you think that that's kind of his thought process is it worked for Bergie? Even though Mo, I think, would have come up for nine games, you know, putting these guys in for nine games to Steve just doesn't seem to be that big of a deal to him. Yeah, yeah, I, I you know, I think, uh, like you said, uh, if ever he was going to to bring somebody up, I, you know, even though the 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 way that, like Daniela pointed out, the, the team, the way the team was playing last year, uh, late in the season, uh, might not have been a good environment, but but still, Bergeron. The, with the kind of season that he was having, it would have been justified to reward him late in the year with a few games. Um, you know, this year, uh, you know, I don't know what the Edmondson, how you compare the way Edmondson and Johansson are playing now to how Bergman was last year. And of course, different positions uh, uh, that uh, might also uh, – go into his thinking as well like you know it, it's it's probably easier to transition a winger uh into the nhl uh as opposed to a, a young defenseman who you know might get exposed a bit and uh you know maybe uh if if they're not completely ready maybe lose a little bit of confidence or something uh late in the year heading into the summer uh maybe that uh plays into his uh thinking as well so uh yeah, I mean, it could go, you know, it could go either way. You never know. My guess is that he won't, but as I certainly would not be surprised if if one or even both of those defensemen uh, come up for a few games, and it, and it certainly doesn't have to be nine games. It could be you know four or five or, or whatever, but certainly it will not be more than nine. Well, you know, I know Steve's a big fan of this podcast, and if he's listening, when he listens to it, he's probably going to be laughing and saying, just like I like it, no one knows what the heck I'm going to end up doing. So, uh, <laughs> and, and that that's kind of the, the way he likes it. You know, I, 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 we'll get into a little bit about Dylan Larkin and his contract negotiations. I know fans want to hear about that, but I want to ask each one of you, and I will sit this one out, uh, uh, I, I, you know, obviously the Huso deal, but Maybe the pleasant surprise of this season, if you could each maybe pick one player that you're really surprised has either really developed quickly or come into their own or or a guy who, you know, was called up and didn't leave. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, you know, underneath, I guess I'm saying a couple of players names, but uh, 
you know, uh, Daniela, who's your pleasant surprise on the wings this year? Okay, well, I'm not surprised by this. And I'm going to say that because I called this last year on a different podcast that I joined. And I kind of got reamed on Twitter for having this opinion. But Michael Rasmussen, I think this season has been huge for him and his development. Obviously, the injury that it sucks. There's no other way to put it. Um, Not great that he has to sit out the rest of the year. But the strides that he's made in his game and seeing the way that he's been super effective, not only at the center position, we saw his game grow, but they move him to the wing and he's even better on the wing. So I really like the way that he's playing. And I know art, this wouldn't be your podcast if I didn't mention him growing into his body and using his size. So he's definitely done that over the past year and a half or so. And I think he's been a key piece for the Red Wings and you miss his physicality. He wasn't in the Ottawa series, so you miss that out of Michael Rasmussen when he's not there. Now, Ansar and Kevin, I, you, you can agree with Danielle or you can pick somebody else. And uh, Kevin, who, Who's your pleasant surprise? Well, it was going to be Rasmussen. And I, it, one of the reasons I, I really appreciate uh, what he's accomplished in his growth is just the respect he now has in that room. And um, as Daniela pointed out, oh, his, his biggest growth has been as a physical player, in my opinion. Like, he wasn't anywhere near being a physical player when he showed up. But he's, you know, he's figured it out that uh, – uh, that's uh, going to be an important part of his game. But, you know, and nothing illustrates how important he is, is how difficult uh, it's been for them to move on without him. Like, uh, it it really has made it rough for them because he was so much a part of their penalty kill. He's so much a part of pretty much everything they do now uh, and without him. But the, the, the other sleeper one, I would say, is, Ali Mata, um, you know, he came up in this league. I remember when he came in, you know, he was an offensive uh, defenseman. But somewhere along the line, uh, he has figured out that the best way for him to be successful is to be a defensive player. And I think everyone in the organization has really been pleased that uh, the contributions he's made. Every once in a while, he forgets that he's no longer an offensive defenseman and you see him move up into the play a little bit. But I would say 90% of the time, he's very comfortable being a uh, a guy that's a, a defense-first uh, style defenseman. And I think he's made a big uh, difference and he's contributed significantly to the fact that they're you know last year they gave up more uh, high danger scoring chances than any team in the league and now you know they're a middle of the pack team and i think he's one of the reasons why all right answer what uh you know what, what what's left what, what who's your surprise guy well a couple of guys um certainly rasmussen uh and i think uh as kevin mentioned about the respect factor uh, in the room, I, I thought it was uh, a nice gesture and telling when he, they gave him the A for the Vancouver game in his homecoming. Uh, he, uh, Rasmussen mentioned in the post game afterward that it was uh, Ben Sherratt, uh, uh, Ben Sherratt's idea. I, I think that that uh, was a, a really fine gesture and and and, and well deserved for. Uh, how he's played, uh, uh, just the assertiveness, uh, physicality, uh, uh, and just the, the all-around uh, improvement, which we saw towards the end of uh, last year, and uh, and he's carried it into this season before his injury. Uh, the other guy is Jake Wallman. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, I uh, I go back to Iserman's uh, 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 Zoom call on the trade deadline, when they made that deal and he mentioned 
that he'd been a Wallman fan or he'd, he'd noticed he'd, he'd been watching him for quite a while and liked him. And that kind of stood out to me that uh, he's a guy that, uh, that Eisenman liked and eventually got an opportunity to, to acquire. And, uh, you know, we didn't see a, a whole lot of him toward the end of last year. And then, of course, this year he missed a, a good chunk of the start, uh, recovering from, from shoulder surgery. But I thought as soon as he came back, I mean, it was a smooth transition into the lineup. And then soon after, he was promoted to uh, to be Cider's partner. And I thought he's he's helped, uh, you know, Cider uh, improve this season. Uh, you know, it just wasn't working out with Ben Sherrod earlier in the year. And uh, and uh, Wallman's own game has has really grown and evolved uh, uh, with you know his 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 mobility. Uh, you can see his skating ability and how much that helps get the puck out. And uh, and and he is he has a, a tremendous shot too. So uh, yeah, Rasmussen and uh, Wallman uh, would be my two uh, pleasant surprises, I guess. Right. You know. I mean. I'm, you know. I'll, I'll throw in something for. Uh... Uh, for Berggren, uh, uh, you know, he had so many injuries even after the Red Wings drafted him. And I remember if Elena wasn't available at number 30, and I guess uh, Berggren went like in the second round, but 30, I always want to say 32 or 33. It was one of those two numbers that he would have been in that slotted in that 30th pick, meaning he would the Red Wings would have taken him at, in that draft in the, in, in the first round. But Valeno had fallen almost 15 spots, which was, uh, you know, which they could not pass up on. And, you know, and obviously Joe is uh, is acquitting himself this year uh, quite well as as well. Uh, I, I want to get to something that is maybe when it was first done, I think we were all encouraged about it. And, Danielle, I know you brought it up when uh, uh, the uh, when the Red Wings traded for Billy Huso. A third round pick. He wasn't going to be signed. He was about to become an unrestricted free agent, much like would have been the situation if the uh, Red Wings didn't trade Tyler Bertuzzi and played out this season as the clock ticked uh, uh, closer to uh, free agency July 1st. Uh, you know, Steve was not going to lose him for nothing. I think we all know that. But picking up Billy Huso was, uh, I, I don't think it could have worked out better. Uh, you know, I, I hate to do this with the, with the season still. Uh, uh, being played out here, but uh, regardless of how it finishes, I you have to look at Huso, and I would assume that he is the MVP of this club. I mean, he has been absolutely outstanding, and I don't know how many more games Magnus Helberg is going to uh, go, going to see. I, I you know I, I would love to see um, Alex Nedeljkovic get called up and play a few games in the league because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. But um, uh, you know, we could we we could see a guy who's going to play fifty five games at least. Um, Daniela, MVP. Uh, does it begin and end with Huso, or is there somebody else that you're kind of eyeing as well? You know, I'm just going to make this short and quick. It begins and ends with Huso Art. I think you're one hundred percent right. I said it at the halfway point through the season, and I'm going to stick with it now. It's it's hard to imagine where this team would be without a guy like Billy who so obviously the goaltending situation didn't turn out exactly as we all expected. So imagining it without him is tough to do. And you think the season could have gone a completely different way if you don't add him during the draft last year. And Art, you mentioned that he's going to play 55 games at least. He's already played 48 and 
sounds like he's going to get the start tonight. So that'll be 49. So yeah, I would say that definitely he's going to hit that 55 mark and he's done a good job handling that credit to him. It's not easy to do to, to come in and take over the reins as a number one goaltender playing that amount of games. Well, you know, he joked with me and said that he could do uh, that. He could play 60, but uh, you know, Ansar, obviously Huso has been a real stabilizing force. And I, I, you know, I, I mean, he put up good numbers, but much like Ned the year before in Carolina, before Detroit acquired him, uh, you, you know, it was almost, are they a one-hit wonder? And nothing against Ned here, because I, I wish nothing but the best for Ned. I think people know that. I mean, that he is a stand-up guy and uh, very accountable. Uh, but uh, Huso has, has almost been a revelation for this. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the, the, the big question with Huso was, you know, the workload, can he handle this heavy workload? Um, and and, and uh, Lalonde has mentioned several times that they've played him more than they would have liked, uh, tried to give him a break uh, whenever possible, but it, they just haven't, uh, you know, they're, and they're fortunate actually that the schedule, been, their schedule this year seems to be a little more spaced out, uh, spread out than, than it has been in the past. Now, it just seems like they haven't played as many back-to-backs, which has helped. But certainly, if, you know, if, if they had a, uh, you know, if they had a more, almost solid backup uh, to uh, to spell him a little bit more often, uh, you wonder if that would would have would help a little bit. Uh, but yeah, certainly, I think he's handled uh, he's handled the workload uh, well. Uh, and uh, for sure, um, I, I can't imagine the state of this team uh, if uh, if Huso hadn't been on top of his game on many nights. Yeah, there's no doubt, Kevin. You know, I, I guess I look at you as the pulse of the league. I, I mean, back then when this when this deal was done, I mean, I, I, you know, and it's easy for me in hindsight, I guess, but I was pretty encouraged by this. I thought it was a good move by Detroit, and I figured, you know, a tandem of Nadalkovic and Huso goaltending suddenly might be a strength for the Red Wings. So it, was there any initial feedback? Again, were people saying, you know, a third-round pick for Billy Huso looks like a steal right now? Well, yeah, I mean, I think people saw it as a real logical um, move for Detroit. Uh, and again, you know, very Steve-like. Like, you know, he didn't give them uh, five years or seven years. Uh, it was an unreasonable amount of money. He gave up a third round pick. Um, and there was a good chance he was going to come out of it with a strong number one goalie. Um, and, uh, you know, for that reason, I think you look at all the free agents, like clearly that was uh, the best by far. And Steve made several of them who have, that have worked out. That's good. I The only thing I would say, and his consistency has been remarkable. And, uh, you know, not only will you play 55 or more, I'm pretty sure he's tracking toward 59. <laughs> um, uh, that's kind of where I think they think he's going to land 59, maybe even 60 if they end up playing more. But so it's, I mean, it's been incredible. And at, at worst, I would say he's co MVP because you know where I'm going. Like, I, yeah. I just think we're seeing a marvel here in Moritz Sider um, at 21 years of age. Um, it's hard for me not to give him a piece of that team MVP, you know, to be the force that he is. And he's just gotten better and better. And with all the block shots he's had, you know, third in the league. And it, when you look at whenever there's trouble now, you know, Sider's up at the front of the line. You know, he, he's just become 
so confident. And I, you know, to me, the, the power play, the improvement lately, he's been a big part of that. He is so confident back on the point now with that puck. And at the end of the game, when against Boston, when they're protecting that lead, you can almost just sense that uh, Bugner was, uh, you know, getting that second group out there just waiting to get cider back out you know like uh, you know he just you know you, you just want him out there whether you need a goal or you want a goal and i just think the team is now looking to him and he's um you know there that that combination of size um and defensive ability uh vision offense you know there just aren't many players like him in the league and you know for that reason so i'm going to give him a piece i'm going to make him share that uh, that mvp because i don't want to take anything away from you so because everything that's been said is just right on he's been you know really strong for them but i i think you got to recognize uh, you know cider's uh, uh maturity and development as well well there, there's no question about it and uh uh, you know, looking at that and, you know, uh, uh, Daniela, uh, I mean, most cider, the, the thing that I find that's very, very difficult is that, as Kevin said, he's 21 years old. Uh, and, you know, and I, you've heard me say this, you know, ad nauseum. I mean, I, he's by far the Red Wings best player or skater, shall we say. I mean, he's I think he is their best player at 21, but is how calm and collected he is. Even though I'm sure he might have been hurting like some of the guys were at the trade deadline, his focus is always on the team and winning games. I mean, when you talk to him, it's amazing. I shake my head and I say, when I was 21, you know, I had some issues. You know, this guy is is focused as a 21-year-old. I, you know, I used to joke and call Michael Rasmussen, whatever age he was, the most serious 19-year-old in the world. Mo is kind of cut from that same cloth. I mean, he is extremely focused for someone who's 21 and playing in the national hockey league. That's just my opinion. I don't know, Danielle, you talk to him quite often. Like I do. It is amazing. The maturity level that he has. Well, that's for sure. Sometimes you forget he's only 21 years old when you're having a conversation with him. He carries himself like he's much older and has been through so much more than a 21 year old should have been through. And he plays that way too. He plays very calm, very confident and, Yes, I, I agree that Kevin Kevin has every right, right to give him part of that MVP. And I'm just wondering, did any of you expect him to bury that backhand on Saturday or Sunday? Because I don't think I did. I, I thought, oh, nice play to get it in there. And I, I did not think that is how that play was going to turn out. But, hey, Mo Sider does it again, right? Yeah, I mean, it's our, you know, you know the, the, the Sider, and we've all seen a lot of hockey players, but I can't remember – a player, unless we were going back to the days of Steve and Sergey and Nick and, the, and and those guys coming in and having impacts their first year, uh, you know, and even Dylan, I, you know, Dylan had a, a nice a, a nice rookie campaign with Zetterberg as a center. But with all that said, I, I can't remember a guy who just kind of stepped in and looked like he was already a veteran when he was a raw rookie. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, uh, you know, you can, uh, the last the last guys, you know, maybe Zetterberg uh, in two thousand two or three, but he was stepping into a uh, you know a team that had just won the cup uh, and a veteran league team. Um, 
it's different with, with, with cider, uh, given the uh, certain more challenging, uh, with this roster and this team. And, uh, I just think he's, uh, pretty much met every challenge uh, along the way. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, certainly, uh, it's been uh, a tremendous, uh, goal here for, uh, as he's wrapping up his second season. And, uh, they certainly found a gem there. Well, you, you know, what I find interesting, and Kevin, you know, you is that it was apparent early on in his rookie campaign, like three weeks into the season, that he was their number one defenseman, and he was certainly competing to be the best player on the team, which I still can't really wrap my head around. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's um, similar circumstances. There are obviously different kinds of players, even different positions, but you know, uh, I was there when Steve Eisenman joined the Red Wings and he was young. Uh, the team was poor and he came in and he was instantly um, their most important player and their best player. Um, and that's what's happened to Moritz Sider. He's come in, the team hasn't been very good, and he's come in and suddenly it's pretty clear to one and all. I mean, not to take anything away from Dylan Larkin, but uh, Moritz Sider can do so many different things. I mean, the you know, the only defenseman that I can think of that, you know, is even close to this would have been like Dennis Potvin in the early 1980s with the Islanders. You know, he had a physical presence to him. He could block shots. He was good offensively. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's hard to find a do-it-all defenseman. Drew Doughty's another one, Ray Bork maybe, um, although Ray Bork's probably a little more offensive than uh, Moritz is. But so he's – He's at a different uh, level than uh, than everyone else, and you know he is not disappointed in his development or growth. Like he's on an upward trajectory. We're all watching him. He just gets, um, I know Daniela brought it up. He just more poise, more composure. He never looks rattled. Um, you know, he's uh, just the, the and the confidence. Like he never looks like he's in doubt. Uh, of what he he wants to do or what what he should do, and I I think that's and I think the other players on the team sort of feed off that. You know, when he's out there, the the team plays at a at a different level than when he's not out there. Yeah, you know, I, I want to say, and Danielle, I'm sorry, I kind of went off a little mo tangent, but you knew when you mentioned mo to me, I probably was going to do that. But uh, the backhand, Ansar, why don't you answer Danielle's question? Were you surprised it went in? Uh, no, no, because it's cider. <laughs> yeah. I, no, but I, I was surprised that he got a breakaway. I mean, was that right? When was the last time has he ever gotten a breakaway before? Because it just he, he got he pounced on the opportunity there uh, at the blue line, and I just I just happened to look up, and the next thing I know, hey, that's cider <laughs> of all people going in in a breakaway, and uh, it actually I thought he would score because of who he is. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I did too. Uh, I thought he was going to score, and the reason I thought is if you remember last year, when the only time like he never really explored his offensive side too much last year. Like I know he racked up a lot of points, but those points came from him just doing the right things as a defenseman. Like he didn't, you know, stretch himself. Um, he didn't. He wasn't a big risk taker, even though I know they've said they wanted him to curtail his risk taking. He didn't do it as much as most defensemen do at his age last year. But the only time you ever saw it last year was like when they'd get into overtime, and it would be Raymond and Larkin 
and Cider. And if you remember that game in Buffalo where he came off the wall right. and tucked that shot in and scored on that, you you like I watched that. So you go, oh, this 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 kid's got some game. Like he's got some moves too. So on that breakaway, I sure as heck thought he was going to score on it. I really did. Well, you know, that's I, hilarious. I thought he might have scored. I I never would have thought it would have been on a backhand though. I have to be honest about that. And yeah, I know he might have been joking. And you know, and and when he and Dylan were up there after the Boston game on Sunday afternoon, and. You know, I, I mean, I came right out and asked him, were you as surprised as everybody in the building? I, I don't know if they were surprised that he scored, per se, but I think the shot that he scored on, I think just, for, it, it floored me. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it looked like he is Mr. Backhand of the NHL on that play. But <laughs> The other thing, Art, and I told this to you, that he doesn't have a crazy speed, right? He's a great skater, obviously, but he's not super fast. So when he took off on that breakaway, you also saw how strong he was, right? He's he's fending off who it might have been Patrice Bergeron. I can't remember who was chasing him, but um, you just saw him make such a strong play on the puck too, because it's not like Dylan Larkin when he gets a breakaway opportunity and he's using the speed to get away from the defenseman. Sider definitely used his body. Yeah, he certainly did. I mean, you know, I I mean, obviously, uh, I would be stunned if he doesn't win the Norris Trophy during his uh, illustrious Red Wing career. Uh, you know, I think eventually, and I'm not kicking Dylan to the curb, uh, you know, I, I can't see how he is uh, not going to be wearing a C either. Uh, you know, I, I would eventually, again, nothing, not kicking Dylan to the curb, but uh, I can't see how he's not going to be the next captain of the team. But uh, with all that said, let's talk about the current captain of the team. Um, I, I, I guess term was never an issue. We all figured if Dylan would sign with the Red Wings, it would be for the maximum eight years. I know money was a factor. When it's all said and done, Ansar, uh, good deal for both sides. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I think I think we all pretty much expected uh, some type of compromise in that between the eight and nine million uh, mark. And uh, you know, I think uh, I guessed a lot of people probably guessed you know around the eight point five. Uh, I think isn't that what Bo uh, Horvat signed for eight point. Yep, right. Mm-hmm. It was going to be in that range. Uh, he got a little bit more, uh, but you know, uh, certainly, I, 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 yeah, I think it's a, a, a good deal for both sides. Uh, uh, right, and, you know, right, right around. I think where where it should have been. Kevin scuttlebutt around the league. Good deal for both. Yeah, I I think the reaction was why did it take so long for Steve to reach the conclusion? Because it really was really laid out. You know, Rupins had got eight point four million, Horvat had got eight point five, Barzell got nine one, but everybody said that was an overpayment. And you know, Lark had slotted in there. He got like you know three extra three hundred thousand to get it to eight seven over the eight four or eight five because he was captain of the team. He's a hometown hero. Um, you know, he had already been there. He was committed. He wanted to be there. But I thought the most important element of it all was because you wondered what, you know, is this going to cause any problems? Because Steve, you know, held the line. And you, you, we understand why why Eisenman did that, because he wants to make sure that he's got money to pay more at Cider and Lucas Raymond and the players that are coming up. He wants to surround uh, Larkin with, uh, you know, top players. And I don't I don't begrudge him you know, trying to hold the line on that. But what I was concerned about from the Red Wings perspective is, you know, how did Larkin feel about that? When I heard 
later from both Larkin and Eisenman that there had been constant contact between Larkin and Eisenman. That's why Larkin never seemed to be uh, um, like concerned about it. Like, you know, if, if you watched him during all this, he didn't have the normal angst that you see with a player in a contract year. He was pretty calm about it. And, um, and, and I think that's because Eisenman maintained those ties. They talked all the time. So it wasn't just Pat Brisson, the agent, uh, and Eisenman. Larkin was part of the deal. He was engaged with Eisenman. He knew what Eisenman was trying to do. I'm sure Eisenman said, this isn't about you. This is about the money. You know, I want to just surround you and all that kind of stuff. So I think that was crucial. And I expected all along it was going to get done. And I think everybody did in the league and probably shouldn't have taken that long. But I think Larkin understood why uh, Eisenman was trying to draw the line in the sand. You know, Daniela, the thing I, I found really surprising when Dylan, uh, you know, when Dylan spoke about his contract was that he seemed surprised that he talked to Steve Eisenman so much during the whole process. Uh, yeah, he did. And I, I, the, Kevin nailed it. That's exactly what I was going to say. You never saw the worry out of Dylan Larkin. His game was just as good as it's always been, if not even better. We saw him take steps, too. He's almost a point-per-game player right now, which is probably right where you'd want him to be. And he's the heartbeat of the team, and you'll hear that from not only Derek Lalone, but his teammates as well. So, yeah, I, I think the fact that he wasn't worried, Steve Eiserman didn't seem worried either. Not that we hear from him all that often, but when he was talking about it in his press conference, he seemed really happy that it was done and really happy with the way that it worked out so we might not know the nitty-gritty details of what went on behind the scenes but i think at the end of the day they both wanted to get this deal done and that was pretty evident you know i i, I we're getting up on an hour here and you know you're all to taking time out of your out of your day and there is a game tonight that i know that we're all gonna be covering and watching so uh I, and i can go on forever as all three of you very well know but um let me kind of ask you this one and this is pure speculation uh, and, you know, rumor, innuendo, and speculation is what I thrive on. And uh, I'm kind of curious, how different do you think this Red Wing roster will be next year? And that could be include, is Marco Casper ready to make the jump, not only to North America, but to the NHL? Does Wallander, who seems to be putting together a pretty good year, um, uh, good? Is uh, Carter Mazur the guy? Uh, you know, what, you know how. Do you think that these pieces are going to come together? And what type of Red Wing team uh, will we have next year? And answer, let's go to you first. Um, yeah, I think uh, certainly there's always changes. Uh, I, I don't think there's going to be as many as there were last year when we made a, a flurry of moves uh, the first day of free agency, uh, signing all those guys. Uh, but yeah, you know they need uh, they need bright shots, uh, especially on, on you know one or two on defense. Um, uh, they don't have very many uh, right shooting forwards, uh, and they certainly need a uh, to upgrade the uh, the backup goaltending position. Uh, as far as uh, young guys being moved in. Uh, Edvinson and uh, Johansson, as we talked about, it's certainly not going to be given to them. Uh, they have to earn it uh, in training camp in the preseason, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, 
uh, you know, is Soderblom uh, a guy who surprised at uh, during uh, training camp and early in the season this year? Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if he's playing that well right now in Grand Rapids. I I wonder if he may he might uh, need another year in Grand Rapids. Uh, Marco Casper, as you mentioned, uh, we'll see. Uh, generally, no, I, I think uh, as far as recent years, I think Lucas Raymond might be the only one who, who made that uh, that transition um, without having to spend a year in Grand Rapids, uh, as Cider did and uh, Edmondson did. Uh, you know, it's maybe a little different for defensemen as opposed to forwards, but Casper also being a center. Uh, it might, uh, he might, I think he might need some, some time in Grand Rapids, uh, but we'll see. Uh, I think it might, it's probably easier for a winger maybe to transition into the NHL, especially when you've got a guy like, uh, Larkin, uh, as your line mate. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, certainly some changes and, uh, like, you know, I, and I, I also, like I mentioned before, I, I think, I think Steve will look to make a, a you know, a significant, uh, trade with the, the assets that he's uh, acquired. All right, Kevin, you're up next. Yeah, I, I think we're going to see about five or six guys, uh, and I think Ansar hit it um, right on the money. Uh, you know, they're going to be looking for a, a, probably a veteran right-shot defenseman, um, but it'll, they'll be looking for a guy that they can get on a short-term deal uh, to come in. Uh, I, I think Johansson and Edmondson are both going to make the team next year. Um, I, I think... Uh, Steve knows he's got to start working in these uh, younger players. And Johansson uh, has had a really good uh, year, uh, and I think they'll give him a shot. And I think, it, you know, they want to just – Edmondson has uh, the better all-around talent, and I think they want to, you know, give him the opportunity to come up and um, because he can be a, a special player. Um, I don't know whether Marco Casper uh, is, is going to be ready or not, but I think he's going to be in the Edmondson, the Lucas Raymond position where he's going to come in, and if you can earn a spot, then so be it. I think uh, I can't imagine they would play him at center. I think they would start him out, even though ultimately he will be the, a center on this team. Probably they would you know, maybe use him on the wing for a while and uh, you know, let him kind of grow into the, the center position. I, I do think they're going to look around. For a, you know a backup goalie, there's going to be four or five veterans out there. You know the James Reimers of the world. Right. I think they'll be looking for a guy that's uh, just been um, you know more proven, has a longer track record, has some level of consistency. Um, so you're you're not wondering like Helberg has been um, good at times, but he's looked uh, out of place at times as well. And I think they just want someone that they can know. But I I, I really like. Uh, Carter Mazur a lot. I think he's the, they're going to be the new Bertuzzi. He's got that little edge to his game. He's got some bite. You know, he can score. But I'm not so sure he's quite ready yet. So I think he's going to have to go down uh, as well. But he's the type of guy that could go down for a while and get used to the pro game. Um, but with his edge, uh, I think that gives him, you know, kind of a leg up and getting here a little bit quicker just because, uh, you know he's pretty comfortable playing a, a rough and tumble game, so um, I would I would think we're going to see five or six new players on the Red Wings next year. Daniela, you always have the pulse on this organization. What are we going to see next year? 
Right. That's right. Exactly that art. Um, so <laughs> I think Kevin and Ansar, right. So I'm not going to repeat exactly what they said, but I can tell you this when Steve Eisman brings in players, you know, that they're going to be very team friendly deals. So he's not going to do anything super crazy. I don't think in the off season, long-term or anything like that, just some short-term guys until some of the players that we talked about are ready to make that jump to the NHL. And one thing I think will be interesting next year is Grand Rapids because the Carter Mazers, the Marco Caspers, if they're not on the Red Wings roster, and even Edmonton and Johansson, if they're not on the Red Wings roster right out of camp, Grand Rapids is going to be really interesting to watch. And it's going to be fun to see how those players develop. And hopefully they will um, they will transition either next year or maybe the year after that. But there's going to be some exciting players in the system next year for sure. Well, you know, when you bring up Grand Rapids, the the thing that's really interesting, I mean, goaltending has been almost a nightmare for the Griffins this year, all season long. Yeah. Uh, you would expect, especially with what Coase is now doing, and, you know, it, it might have taken a little bit longer to kick in for him at the pro level, uh, but he, he, he should be in GR. He should be their number one guy next year. So, there, you know, Grand Rapids is a great story to follow. I think the Walleye are also a great story to follow. And I'll end it with this, and I, I guess a brief yes or no. I am getting bombarded with questions about Amadeus Lombardi and saying, is he an Alex Debrinket in the making? Although I think I think Lombardi's a center, but uh, I mean, could he be the diamond in the rough? Answer, yes or no? Could he be Debrinket level? Well, yeah, I think the Brinket level, they're thinking that he could be a goal-scoring machine or you know, that, you know, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he seems to have a scoring touch. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would guess no. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, he might, he, 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 who knows, one day he might make the NHL and have a nice career. But uh, uh, that, that, I mean, the, for lofty expectations like that, I, I, I would uh, say the odds are against it. Yeah, I, well, I, you know, I, I would too, but it, it's better because people sometimes think, Believe it or not, you're too negative, man. I'm going, Lombardi could be a nice player, just like you said, Answer. I mean, Kevin, I mean, Dabrinkit, he's a first-round draft choice. I mean, you know, Lombardi yeah. is not, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Amadeus, and I love his first name, but and I'm a big Mozart fan. But with all that said, uh, I, you know, they've got to find players, and, and you know, and you need guys from the uh, – uh, just not first and second rounders to make your team. Lombardi could be that guy, but the expectation level should be kind of, we should kind of quell our expectation levels for him. Yeah, I'm, I'm a I'm a no on that, and I'm a big fan of uh, Amadeus Lombardi. I've written a lot about him, uh, and I do think he has a chance. Uh, I've talked to uh, scouts who, you know, like him, but, you know, he, he you know he's a work in progress still. He's a pretty slight uh, you know, this is a guy that I'm sure will be headed for Grand Rapids, and they'll watch him there and see how he develops in the in the pro game. But he's not, he's not anywhere close to being uh, uh, NHL ready. Even though I think they're intrigued about him, I I think they really like he's 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 a late bloomer. Uh, he really is. Like he was a late draft pick, even going into the OHL. Uh, so I, I I think they just feel he needs time before they'll have a real good handle on. Uh, what he is, but uh, they certainly like him. There's no doubt about it. And Danielle, I know that uh, during the uh, prospects or, or development camp, you got to talk to Amadeus, I believe. And uh, uh, you know, he he would be great for the media. He he's Mister Personality. There's no question about that. 
yeah, he's a great kid. And I'm kind of where Ansar was just, you don't want to set these crazy expectations for him. He was a fourth round draft pick, right? Yeah. Fourth round pick. And, uh, if he can be an everyday NHLer and make an impact on this team at all, then I think you win there, right? If you hit on your fourth round draft pick for that extent. So I think you should be excited about him, but definitely don't put too high of expectations on the kids. All right. Well, well, Daniela, I, I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're sharing a microphone with two legends and answer and Kevin, and of course me, uh, and I'm not a legend, but anything you would like to ask these gentlemen before we uh, wrap it up? Oh, wow. You're giving me the mic. I wasn't prepared for this. Well, Sebastian Cosa, because that would be my only question. You mentioned Grand Rapids goaltending. Is he going to be the goaltender for Grand Rapids next year? Because look at what he's been able to do. And Art, I know you give me credit for that, but I'm not going to take all of the credit for what Sebastian Cosa has been able to do in Toledo. But it's been pretty exciting to watch because I know he's he's a fan favorite right now and everyone's really hoping that he's the goaltender of the future <laughs> well let me let me tell ansar and kevin exactly what's going on i believe okay uh, daniela <laughs> went down there to talk to the walleye and interview uh dan watson who's an excellent coach uh the voice of the walleye and of course sebastian cosa and since that time they have not lost a game wow there's nothing <laughs> to know so uh uh i i would imagine ansar even though maybe the red wings were kind of you know, uh, you know, looking at Kosa and seeing some of the other guys they might have drafted instead of Kosa, but I think they got to be breathing a little bit of sigh of relief that it seems that Kosa's turned it around. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure, and uh, yeah, uh, I you know next year it will be interesting to see uh, uh, what he does uh, at the AHL level, uh, uh, permanent full time, uh, and uh, uh, yeah. Uh, what was your question? <laughs> well, you, you know, I just, I just said that, you know, actually, I actually answered it. You know, you know, I know, I know what's the, the, the first rule in journalism school. Don't ask questions that you can answer with a yes or no, uh, because then you're not really going to get much of an answer because they're just going to say yes or no. But ser seriously, the question really was, is that I think with what Coase has been able to do, I think the Red Wings are obviously, uh, you know, pretty pleased with the progress that he has made, especially recently. And answer, you answered it beautifully. So, and he was supposed to let me ask the question, and mine was, if you think he's going to be the goaltender in Grand Rapids next year, just you know, the guy that's holding down the net in GR. But yeah, thank you for letting me ask the question. Well, you know, taking it over again. Well, that was I know <laughs> you, you're you always hog that microphone for me, Danielle. No, no, just teasing, of course, uh, Kevin. It, you know, I mean, Kosa, there has to be some relief within the Red Wing organization right now, I would imagine. Well, for sure. And, uh, you know, we always talk about Steve Iverson and strength as a general manager. And usually we concentrate on, you know, his signings, his draft picks. But, you know, the decision that was made on what to do with Kosa, um, really, to me, it's just an indication of what a strong manager he is. Like, you know, putting him down in the East Coast Hockey League, um, I think a lot of guys would have just put him in Grand Rapids and uh, dealt with it that way. But I think he thought this would be a better training ground. He would be the guy there. He would, you know, there was no doubt uh, what was going to go on there. Uh, and it's really worked out because Kosa has gotten stronger as the season wore on. And they resisted the temptation because, as, uh, as was pointed out, Grand Rapids goaltending wasn't very good this year uh, until Nadalkovich got there. Um, and, uh, you know, they could have, uh, brought him up, but 
I, I you know, I'm not sure that he that Costa would have developed as quickly as he did uh, by being down in Toledo. And uh, I think they're, you know, they're, they were under some pressure because Wallstedt, the the guy, the Swedish uh, goaltender that the Minnesota Wild took. I mean, a lot of uh, fans wanted uh, the Red Wings take him. Uh, they did. He's in the American League. He's played well this season. But I think the Red Wings feel pretty good about Costa now. I think there's some parts of his game. The puck kind of squeezes through him uh, a, a few times that they want to just correct it. But those are just technique flaws that I think they think they can get unhandled. But I think they feel he's uh, uh, projecting uh, to right where they thought he would be. Like next year he'll be in the AHL and then uh, maybe two years. And then at some point uh, he'll be in Detroit. Yep, sounds good. All right, on that note, and uh, uh, answer, I, pro- I didn't mean to throw you a curve there, buddy. I know I was kind of rambling, so uh, very hard to follow when I get on, uh, when I start riffing. But uh, uh, I, I just want to thank all three of you, Ansar Khan from M Live, uh, Kevin Allen, Hall of Famer, obviously, and uh, from Detroit Hockey Now, and of course, my colleague over at the Detroit Red Wings, uh, uh, Daniela Bruce. Not only do I admire your skills as as journalists and reporters, because you're three of the best. I also really cherish your friendship. You guys mean a lot to me, and I'm so appreciative that you were able to join us today on the Red and White Authority. Thank you very, very much. Thanks, Thanks Art. With you. Yep. All right. That's our edition. Yep. Thank, thank you, Daniela. And uh, you know, we <laughs> we, we, we got to sort a few things out now. But with that said, hey, thanks everybody. <laughs> we'll see you next time on the Red and White Authority.